0: You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhagen,
2: and Al Warren.
1: AM, 102.3 FM, and AM, Palm Springs. Well, Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. David Martino is somewhere in the room. Somewhere. Yeah, well, I I'm somewhere thought he went to sleep. I heard noise, <laughs> but then, I don't know. I wasn't sure if it was a mouse or... <laughs> it was a mouse. That's what it was. It was my cat. Oh, it's a cat. Well, that's yeah. not a mouse. Yeah. That's, that's no. big, it's a big mouse. If it's it's a, a big mouse. Yeah. You know. Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> crazy world we're living in. Yeah, I know. I see. I, you know, I was, um, of course, cruising social media, as, as I do, as one does in 2020, does. right, in this day and, and age. And, and I'm going through, and, of course, I... I Avoid all the Trump stuff and all the other stuff because it 's so much of it, and yeah, and then finally i I come across something that makes me stop, and it 's if it 's not funny it 's something different, and we're talking about you you remember Queen the band, of course, yeah, I mean we grew up with that, and of course. Uh, you remember fat Bottom girls, yeah, that song right, and now they 've yeah. decided to take it out of the greatest hits, oh, really, the collection because of the wow suggestion of. Fat-bottom girls, I guess. I I kind of thought this (laughs) was kind of funny because, if anything, I thought it was positive about fat-bottom girls. They weren't saying, like, fat-bottom girls, you're awful, we hate you. No. It was like you make the rockin' world go round. So they were very very positive about big-butt girls. So I don't understand why they needed to do that. I don't don't get it. Things like that that make me stop and kind of go, Things that make you go, hmm, hmm, <laughs> that could be a song, you know. It could be. Well, nobody knows that song exists, right? They no. <laughs> <And> you, <laughs> you just do that song and they'll be like, oh, that's a good song. They've song. never heard yeah. it before, right? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm trying to help you out here. Yeah. Make is that millions.
2: CNC Music Factory? Yeah. yeah. And one of the C's that.
1: died. Oh. He was real sick. One of the C's. Yeah. That's years true. ago. And that's why I just sort of end it. Because they probably would have. Gone a long ways. Yeah. But never had the chance. Anyway. But fat bottom girls don't make the greatest hits now. No, they don't. So hold on <laughs> to the old lot. version. I don't think yes. do people still buy albums? I guess well you do, I forget
2: <laughs> I do, yeah.
1: But people well, I mean I, well they're buying they're buying a vinyl again. It's a big thing. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's but that's kind of a trend. Like they're doing that, and yeah. it's going on, but you know, in five years they're gonna probably quit. And, you know, yeah. I mean, that trend will end with the next generation. But, yeah. but I just, cause don't most people buy on Amazon now or one of those? Yeah, places or stream. Or stream it. So yeah. I guess they're going to take it off the stream album and put, oh, what, really? put it aside. I, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I, find that, I find that really kind of funny. But,
2: well, it's a reason that, to collect physical media. They can't it take it away from you if you own it.
1: Yeah, because I'm still upset. Black (laughs) Box, the original Black Box album, you can't get. Wow. And it's not even available on Amazon. They've got remixes and different things, but you can't just get the album that is really good. And, um, yeah, so there you go. Get out there and buy some more. You get to that dollar store.
2: That's right. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever I can find. (laughs) I bet they know you by name. Yeah, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> They go, there's Dave there's they, No, they, they know me as that guy Here's yeah. that guy
1: Oh, I would Back have figured they'd be texting you Oh, we got the Tanya <laughs> Roberts <laughs> movie From ten years ago That nobody <laughs> liked and we can sell it to you for a buck well, Yeah, and I'd be like, okay, I'll be right there Yeah, that's what I mean I would think I did. You'd, you'd be in hot dial there you'd Yeah, you should right be there the top five favorites. <laughs> so Dollarama and Dave. Dollarama See, are both these. You're Dollarama, Dollarama Dave now.
2: Dollarama Dave, that's a new new name. Ah,
1: <laughs> wow, that's better than the rose. Yeah. Anyway. Well, now, speaking of newbies, now we're going to talk to a new author, or she's been writing for quite a few years, I think 10 years or so, but um, out shopping a book, and let's talk about um, what the process is like and um what it's like being a new writer and getting out there. So um, how's that? So let's welcome Cindy Brett. Thank you for coming on the show.
0: Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. How are you doing?
1: I am just wonderful.
0: I'm glad to hear that. How about you, did?
1: I'm I'm very well. Yeah, he hangs out in the yeah. golf store. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you, <know?
0: laughs> you guys hang out listening to albums, right?
1: Well, I don't. I, I, I moved on to CDs, and then they canceled that, so now I'm stuck with, You know, Amazon music or whatever. And (laughs) I'm used to it because I'm used to carrying my phone around and letting it play. But I'm okay with change. I'm moving along. It's okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, It doesn't bother me. Dave's got to have the medium. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love the change, but I'm not good with technology. Oh.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm fine with that. That's not, that doesn't give me a problem at <laughs> that time I learn it. Well, so in this modern world, here you are. So you've been, you've been writing, you've been doing, now, so you write, let's talk about, first of all, you write young adult urban fantasies, and you've been writing, you've been writing a series in this area, and, and you've been putting this all together now, I guess, for 10 years. So let's start out with how mm-hmm. you came to decide to write this book 10 years ago like what was it that happened that you kind of go wow i need to write this
0: well i I could start off by saying I'm, i'm an avid reader and i i would listen i would read listen or read books and i just i just started like percolating in my mind and stuff and when i would read these Books, I never got an idea of, I, I like the settings. I like to be anchored into the settings. And my husband and I and this. Um, used to own a water mill. And I was sitting there, and I was just like, hey, you know, it would be kind of neat to have a book here. Well, then that just developed into other things. And then one night, I I went to sleep, and I started just, like, having thoughts cross my mind. I grabbed a notebook. I started writing those and, notes down. That spiraled into, it's like the more I wrote, the more I had to, these images just kind of assaulted my mind. And I just kept writing these things in notebooks. So by the time I was done, I had a notebook full. And I was like, what do I do with it? Because I was getting more images that came. So from there, I ended up joining a writing group and um worked things out from there and uh let's put it this way the first four years was studying the craft of writing rewriting that first book which is now the secrets beneath scars in the Fearns series from there i actually wrote book two and i'm just on the last chapter of book three while I've been trying to generate and maintain social media and stuff like that. And that's kind of like the initial, initially overall idea of how it just kind of came about. It's the setting. It's the love of passion for storytelling and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, if you're you're having images assault you, you know, that's you must have been reading Dave's book.
0: (laughs) I'm sure that it is not. They just came so quick, so natural, so like. Yeah. I don't know. Did, Did they put you
1: away or put you on medication
2: or?
0: No, 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 no. No. Okay. No,
1: no. They take no. away your driver's license?
0: <laughs> no. Okay.
1: Well, that's no. good. Yeah, you probably drive a school bus. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's a lot of people out there, and I'm trying to take, take this from a point of view of someone listening that maybe has ideas like yours or maybe has things happen like you or similar to you or in some sort of variance. And so when they're, when these things are happening to them, they think, well, maybe I should write, or they keep the ideas and stuff like that, and they're kind of hemming and hawing. Because I think all writers, even someone, like I've got 30 books published, but I'm still not confident in my writing. I still have issues there, and that's quite common with writers. So what is it that makes you feel or gives you the confidence to actually put this out so people can read it?
0: That's a good question. I don't know that I would say that I have the confidence as much as I have the support of, I have the energy and the support of people, enough people in my writing group. And truthfully, it was when I um, met Jonas Saul, who's my agent now, at a conference. And I asked him to edit my books here, my first book, then he did my second book. A couple years later, he contacted me. He said, "What are you doing with those?" And basically, he asked me if he could represent me. It wasn't until then that I kind of got a little bit um, more confidence. But I can't say that I'm actually like confident. I, you know, I think, I think, I, I think a little bit of staying not having confidence kind of keeps me um, grounded a little bit more.
1: Right, it gives you somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. So an agent kind of, yeah, Calls you up and says, hey, you know, what are you doing? This is interesting. And they're, so you get all this together. So urban fantasy So now, if I'm right, you actually create a whole world. Correct. And the reason I say if I'm getting it right is because I'm an old guy. And for me, urban fantasy and science fiction are really the same. And I know that there's differences and there's all of these things going on and it's all these subdivisions. But in essence, you're creating a world, and then you put your characters in it. Correct. So you, you, did you develop this whole world first and get it fairly complete and then put your characters into this world? Or did you have your characters kind of already somewhat fleshed out, and then you created the world for them?
0: I had a, I had a general idea what I was working with. Um, I knew I was working with something related to Atlantis, but it wasn't an in-Atlantean world. Um, I don't approach the Atlantean world until we get into book three. The um, Therans are a hybrid. They're between humans and Atlanteans. And so I crafted this world as I was writing. Uh, I had the general governmental makeup of it, but I kind of unfolded the more I got to understand my character. Callie, she's the main character, and Tristan, because Callie, to start off with, my main character, she doesn't know who she is. She's lost her parents. She's lost everything, practically, and she's um, trying to struggle and figure out, you know, who she is, her identity, It's a the first book is a self-discovery of who she is, and then she's fortunate to um, meet somebody that can guide her, but then he brings his own threats, the danger, forward, and they struggle through it all.
2: Well, how do you keep track of your world building and your characters? Did you develop any systems? Do you use any tools how does that work? Okay,
0: so for me, I actually do have a system. I usually, um, first of all, I'm a mixture between a pantser and a plotter. So it's kind of like that approach that James Scott Bell might use. Um, you, you use index cards, okay? So I have the 3F structure set up on a board. I have individual um, sticky notes. And on those sticky notes, I have the developing scenes underneath Act 1, act two, act three. I have then a bigger book where I have, and it's a notebook, that I have those scenes broken up that if I get an image or I get an idea, I've put it in that notebook. However, when I look at my board that I have that's broken up into the three act structure, I am able to move those sticky notes around if something doesn't fall in line mentally. So it's kind of a, for me, I call it mind mapping. It's it's just how it fits where it feels right in the way I think. So that's, in general, how I do that. And it's rather involved. I actually have, let me see, I have five boards on my wall that um, keep me in line with my actual um, story world. Because I'm managing, not only am I managing... The human world that we currently live in, I'm, I got the governmental system, the hierarchy of how the theorem world works. And then because I'm in book three, I've already crafted everything that comes through the Atlantean world. And this Atlantean world is like, like the title says, it's utopia's dark side. It is, it's a different conceptualization of what, uh, Plato would have worked with when he described Atlantis as a utopia. But that's pretty much my method of working through things and staying on task.
1: So now the characters in this in this world, do you create the same sort of issues and boundaries and, and things that happen to humans in the human world? Do they have the same issues to face, or do they have completely different ones?
0: Let me back up on that one. For... I think a reader to really engage with a book, they need escapism. So at the same time, I think they need to be grounded in something that's real, something that they themselves can identify with. But I think what keeps them anchored into the story world is something new, something different. Whether, like in my book one, you think there's a ghost. It's not a ghost. It's a creature um, that he's doing his own hunting um, in the vaulted library, and I think because of this feathered creature, it, and when I introduce it, it kind of keeps the um, reader engaged. But I write; I want real raw emotions. I I don't want somebody dies one chapter, and the next chapter everybody's full of smiles. I I want to be anchored in the emotions of the true heart, the true feelings of what a reader or someone in real life would have to go through in the struggles, the character arc, in other words, of how that, that character gets out of it or that person in real life could work through their difficult times. I don't know if that comes because um, my background is a recreational therapist. But I've always had a desire to help people, and I've always – I love the raw emotion that people go through, and I love to read a book myself with raw emotion. So I would definitely say I prefer to write my characters with turmoil and real, raw emotion.
1: Okay. And so what, what is your relationship with your characters, then? How do you describe that relationship?
0: How do I describe my relationship with the character? Well, Callie is a mixture of me and my daughter. Believe it or not, I would say my relationships are really good with my character. I love the fact that my character's got flaws. I love the fact that um, she, at first, she stumbles through things. Nothing works, whether it's a vision malfunction or her interpretation of, um, or her perspective on issues. But yeah, I, my relationship with Callie, the main character is great. Writing from a male point of view—that's difficult. So the first two books are written from my main character, and I can—I easily can write her. But get, diving into a, a, a head of a teenage boy—that was difficult.
2: Well, do you have an internal monologue? Can you hear your characters? And is that how you create dialogue, or do you have some other way?
0: I do a mixture. I actually, um, at night, like I said. I will get images um, that work best, and, like, like I describe them as, like, little um, scenes. And then I figure out when I sit at my desk, I actually close my eyes a lot of the times and type. And then I work out that dialogue. And, yes, the words really come quite easily. And I do, I do this in, like, a 45-hour-minute uh, time period for a writing sprint, once that writing sprint time is done, I take a deep breath because sometimes those scenes, sometimes I can't type as fast as I'm getting the dialogue in my mind, and um, and then I go back and edit later because I definitely do not edit that scene and af- until after I take a um, a good uh, break from it, like fifteen minutes or something, but. Those words come very easily.
1: It, it sounds like it's, it's, you know, it's an important story and, and the characters are really important and stuff. Do you have a, um, a meaning or subtext or something that you're going to want people to pick up in the book underneath the storyline that's not part of the entertainment or the fantasy world? Is there some meaning behind this?
0: Yes. I really believe history is extremely important. And these theorems... They are stewards of history. And you can see throughout all three books the significance of what's written in a tome, in a book, um, written in a different language that is there. So I would definitely say that all three of the books correlate to one understanding. If we forget our history, we're doomed to repeat it.
1: Certainly can be true. How do you describe what young people? adult urban fantasy is so for older listeners and stuff how would how would you describe that to them
0: there's a lot of lines that cross between paranormal fantasy and urban fantasy and like you were talking about earlier science fiction where urban fantasy fits in it's usually in a city in the setting and so forth and not all the time does urban fantasy have romance paranormal is when you get into your witches and your warlocks and and fairies and stuff like that. And it usually has romance. The reason why I put the genre in urban fantasy is because my setting does take place in a city. It's on the outskirts of the city, but it does take place on the campus of a college. So I um, have it there, and that's why I put it there. But I would say the interesting thing about this is the um, Ashworth College or campus it um, for the series I don't know I I just urban fantasy that's what I could basically say
2: with urban fantasy sometimes uh, the story itself is more whimsical Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's more serious Where would you place your novels on that spectrum
0: on that spectrum the first book does not come off as serious it's deep Definitely by the third book, it's very serious. It's a lot more, it's mind-bending, and it's dangerous. It's life-threatening. Uh, it's not just the character uh, finding out her own identity or uh, going up against her nemesis for an ancient talisman, which is what happens in book two. Book three is dark. It's it, In some aspects, when I was... Um, Chatting with someone yesterday, I, I, I described it almost kind of out of norm for me to write, but kind of brutal.
1: When you're doing a, an urban fantasy and you're, you have all of these things going on, you know, you talk about, you know, between paranormal and witches and stuff like this. How, what do you, what do you base that on in the sense of do you take the standard, I guess, trope or ideas behind what a witch is and what a witch does or what ghosts do and what, like, are you taking the standard human? definitions of the people or ideas
0: well my book series doesn't deal with witches or warlocks or anything like that it does deal with a creature that um has apparition he's fast and stuff like that i i take i mean what i've read about things um i mean i've never really dealt with witches or anything like that but yeah i just i don't Really get into the witches and the warlocks unless it's Twilight but I haven't written about them in my story so
1: right and and yeah. but but what I'm saying is you take a lot of this uh, the kind of the uh, things that we talk about and experience and things that are that humans deal with that's in your world as well
0: yes yes most definitely it's in my world but I don't but I don't write about the witches and stuff like that but I definitely write about powers Um, I try to ground a lot of the book series in these characters have innate powers. However, they do work. I do work with uh, a lot of science behind these understandings when something comes to, um, build on. I try to work with actual science, whether it's magnets or, um, something like that.
2: Well, what about the Atlanteans? Um, are you following what's been written about them, um, whether it's in history or uh, through other other books, uh, nonfiction books, and such, or um, do you, do you have to uh, you know use your own uh, creative portion of, of your mind to to make it up?
0: Well, actually, I studied Plato. I studied the Creators. I studied several of the dialogues that he wrote. And I took his creatus, broke it down over a period of, I would say, three months. And then I um, used some of his ideas and structured my Atlantis around his Atlantis. And because I wanted to kind of be form-fitting, but at the same time, I wanted originality, something that was very organic um, and I've seen many stories, read many stories, uh, seen many movies where you've got an Atlantis that's on Earth, you've got an Atlantis underwater. Believe it or not, I've actually um, worked within the utopia's dark side to have it a combination of both, and there's justification for it within the um governmental system of the Atlantean world
1: so what makes a good story for you when you're when you're reading a book what is it that keeps you uh, focused on the book
0: truly honestly I want to escape the second thing would be character arc if I don't have if there's a, if I'm reading a book and there's a character arc that is flat I could usually put that down I want and usually you could tell I would say at least by the ha- first half of the book, if there's going to be a character arc, I want to engage in a world that I can lose myself in, escape in a world that is different than my own, even though I love ultimately fantastically love my world. I also um, want something that's rich, almost like textural, that you could feel it, you can taste it. So the reader really has to be vivid. Has to be a, a fantastic writer, and there's lots of good writers out there. At least the ones I've encountered, especially here lately.
1: At the end of the day, like when you started this book, you said that um, you know the, how the ideas are; these things were were coming to you, and all that. When you when you first kind of plotted out the story and the world, and you started kind of outlining whatever part you did outline, mm-hmm. and you had it, you had this image in your mind of what you wanted to do. Now, when you're at the other end of the, this, these books, and it's just about all done, it, did it turn out kind of where you wanted it to go originally?
0: Eight years ago, I knew after brainstorming with my husband how the ultimate nemesis would die. I knew without a doubt. However, I didn't know the steps that it would take to get to that point. I've, it's like building, um, I've been building the pieces as I go. I would say that's 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 where that's at.
1: So, what's your plan now? So, you've got this being shopped. What what do you? What's your hopes for this now?
0: My hopes is that uh, ultimately uh, I'll finish the last chapter here shortly, probably within the next two weeks. After that, I have my um, newsletter going out uh, in October, and hopefully, um, Jonas will be pitching to. Um, people and we'll get a good solid bite that's, that's
1: and so what what yeah so what's your website what and where do people find you do you social media like where do, i'm on, where do yeah, people I'm on find facebook
0: you? i'm on twitter i just started a youtube account and um i'm on instagram and also they could um follow me at cindybrock.com uh for my website they will find me there And um, I explain quite a bit more on my website about the fear in the world and um, so forth. So it's just kind of interesting.
1: Fantastic. Of course, we'll have that up, and people can find you easily with one click and stuff. Hey, so what happens to your characters when the the series is over? What happens to your characters? Do they stay with you, or what's your idea on
0: that? Well, I don't think they'll ever leave me. I've actually contemplated writing another book. That would be a standalone urban fantasy that would work with this book series. And um I'm hoping to do that, but to actually have my character Callie have graduated high school and um into college and then experiencing some troubles. But using um her gift at that time. Right now, Callie through high school, she thinks of her visions as a curse. But she when she I put her in this standalone book. I want her to recognize that her visions are a gift. And so um, with that, it will put her in a better stance, but that does not mean that she won't run into problems and stuff. So I actually do, I actually (laughs) have already started a notebook on that because I might be running one idea how to close up a book, and then I'm already getting images of how to work on another storyline, so for the standalone.
1: How do you experience your characters when you're writing them? Like, do you hear them? Do you see them? What's that process?
0: When I uh, am asleep, usually I see things, like, just like a dream. And then usually, sometimes I might hear, like, a phrase or uh, something, and then, um, like, the muse is working, and then I'll get an idea um, from that, and I write it down because I have a notebook at my bedside. And then usually that triggers, what I write down triggers um, things for me. So I sit at my computer, and I have a system that I do, like I have to have my coffee and all that kind of stuff. But then I will sit down, and I will close my eyes, and I will write.
1: And your husband's still alive?
0: Oh, yes, yes.
1: He hasn't disappeared.
0: No, no, he's a good keeper. He's he's a definite keeper because he keeps on... um Given me a bunch of, uh, science, uh, stuff to consider. Um, I resort to talking to two people when I need, have questions on science aspects to generate ideas with in my story world. So, so he, well, he, he better stay around.
1: If, if you're having dreams and stuff, maybe, you know, you wake up and there's bloody shoes and a shovel. Oh, no,
0: you. no, no, not that, not that. But um, I oh, actually believe it or not, I have to turn on, um, my phone flashlight so I can write. So sometimes that does disrupt his sleep.
2: <laughs> well, I was wondering, do, do your characters ever surprise you? Do they uh, run off with the plot and, and take, take it into some area that you really didn't want to go?
0: Yeah, yeah, they do. And then um, sometimes it's backed me into a corner. A lot of the times, actually, I, I have to say that. It gets me backed into a corner where sometimes I don't know how to get out of it but I find there's such a benefit to the payoff of it because when a reader reads it, then they're like, oh my gosh, what are they going to do? How are they going to get out of this? And then that ultimately leads to the, the next chapter surprise of how did this character, how did Callie get out of this situation? So yes, I'm, I'm often surprised. Like I said, I have a general idea when I sit down at the computer what I'm writing. But things really develop and unfold the more I listen to um, things and then things taking place. I like to build and run off of a um, tension and intrigue in every scene. Not chapter, scene. and Because you could have a couple of scenes in a chapter. Usually, Callie's pretty good at getting me into difficult spots. And I say that in a good way. Because I think readers like to read st- stuff that's not predictable.
1: So for other new writers out there, or people that haven't been published and they're, they're kind of looking, what, what what is the biggest challenge or the biggest hurdle for you so far, Ben?
0: I would say two things. One, confidence at first. I've always struggled with confidence. I would have to say the second is that I'm dyslexic. And when I type, I transpose my letters so therefore, I don't usually sit down at the computer if I'm stressed out. I have to t- I have to be very calm, and when I type, so um, I I would say those have been two of my biggest hurdles. However, at the same time, I haven't given up on myself. I haven't given up on my writing, and I haven't given up on my story because I would have to say those hurdles have been also a blessing. You know. Because I think not being so confident has kept me more grounded and humbled. And I think my dyslexia has aided me because I seem to see things differently. I've done enough research on dyslexia, and I think less than a curse. I look at life differently than a lot of people, I think.
1: What's your favorite part of writing? What was, what's the thrill that you get out of it? The
0: satisfaction of knowing that I completed that scene or satisfaction that I actually walked away from writing that scene and learned something new about life. As a writer, you learn also when you write about the real world, too. As a reader, I think you can learn many, many things, too. But I think that's something I would take away.
1: So when you look back at this whole process, how much do you think it's changed you?
0: I think it's changed me a lot because... I might get nervous about, like, having to talk to someone, but at the same time, I'm comfortable with who I am as and I myself. And it's through this journey of learning that it's okay to have flaws like dyslexia, to not be perfect, to be unpolished and to be raw, to be real, that I've learned to love myself that much more. And I think the last ten years in writing... I've learned to look at myself and say, you know what, I'm okay.
1: You know, since you're finishing book three now, The Dark and the Dark Book, and um, when we talk about that, are you conscious about how dark you get or what kind of violence you put on the page?
0: Yes, yes, I am. I, um, yeah, I would say book one and two are PG. Uh, Book three hits the PG-13 mark. Um, yeah, I'm very conscientious. Um, I'm actually aware, like, I don't go out of my way to use, um, take the Lord's name in vain, like, oh God, or something like that. But at the same time, I try to be real that, oh my gosh, there's so much violence in this world. You've got to be real with what you write. So, however, but when I wrote book three, I knew Callie because she's an instrument of prophecy, I knew that what she was coming up against eight years ago, when I crafted the ending mentally in my mind, that she had to have powers that were extreme when she was coming up against her antagonist. But at the same time, if I wanted a young adult to read it, it couldn't be too bad. But it's on the edge. It's on the edge. And it's a different type of dark side, utopious dark side. It's um it is violent, uh, but it's it's mental in aspects too. And it's conquering, it's my character conquering her own inner demons while she's learning to navigate who she is as an instrument of prophecy. So
1: when you're writing um kind of an evil or a bad character, did you have any problems getting into the mindset of that? Or how do you get into that uh
0: character? I studied it. I like like looked at Hannibal Lecter. I um gravitated towards evil. Um I think that's the one that Tom Cruise was in. I watched different movies. I studied, I talked with my um group on how to craft an evil person. But it was, it's not all about the antagonist being evil. It, it, there's got to be more to it. It's And I wanted depth, a story depthness that drew the reader in at the beginning of book three so they understood who she was a little bit, but through other people's perspectives. So when they met the main antagonist, they would be Lord. and um no i i definitely study that stuff that one for me did not come naturally writing my antagonist did not come naturally at all that was that's that's been difficult for me
1: well i think i think with the with the bad guy so to speak or the person that is doing the the the, the evil or the the heart the bad things let's say you, you've got to make the reader understand why they feel they're doing the right thing Mm -hmm. because that's usually what it is they no matter what they think what they're doing is something they should be doing that they're on the right path so i think in order to get that across people the reader has to understand why that person is there why is it they they feel what they're doing is is the good thing correct or the right thing yeah and that's not always
0: no no it's not and it's a balancing act Especially when there's more than one evil person you know, you have to balance that their personalities their characteristics are different and they could stand on their own and those hidden um, antagonists are the ones that think that you think are helping you and trying to move something forward and they're really you know the villain you know
1: have you ever use people you know in the book like uh, you know are they Are there people around you or people you've come across in life here that you've kind of been inspired or they've inspired a character that you've written?
0: Um, Well, like I was saying earlier, like, Callie's kind of a mixture of my daughter and um, myself. And um, there's one of the other characters. Tristan's kind of a mixture of my husband and my grandfather. In the storyline, I actually have a lot of young adult books are written where they do not have a parental governing figure. I wrote a grandfather figure in because I think it's very important that um, there is that parental figure um, because it actually adds to a challenge when you're writing the story world. But I would say um, the grandfather figure is kind of a mixture of my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. In there, However, a lot of the other people, no, I did not um, put them after anybody else, but I think that, Alan, I think that is the reason why Callie came to me so easily, because I could identify with her, as in, when my daughter was growing, I was writing different things as she was going through her stages of her life and stuff like that, and so it was kind of easy for me to pick up on, you know, Cause I had like a little mini person out there running and stuff, but for me, that's it. I mean, I've been blessed to in this book series, each person in my family has been a major influence and very supportive, whether it's my daughter or my husband helping brainstorm. My husband, my son help, has helped me with all the strategies for self defense or martial arts. Um, he has helped guide me through, talking me through routine steps, the language, the choreograph. So I got it right. And so um, in general, yeah, I definitely, those three characters are definitely written with someone in mind.
1: Well, I was hoping you'd give us some gossip, like you killed off a neighbor or something.
0: But I'm not allowed to do that. That would be a steal. Oh,
1: come on.
0: Have you come given on. your secrets away, Alan? Have you given your secrets away about your story?
1: All the time. <laughs> All the time. Yeah, but yeah.
0: Uh, I'm not going to. No, I won't do that. I'm trying to think if there is a secret. Well, actually, I did give a secret away today, and that was about the hybrid and that the a theorems are a, hy- a hybrid from Atlanteans um, and uh, humans.
1: Well, if you need help with martial arts, just give Dave a call.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's, he's, he's the karate expert. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it's, you know what? That's a great, great hobby to have. Some people make it a career, but that's a rewarding skill to have.
1: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Keeps him in shape. You should see him. Yeah. Like, uh, he looks like <laughs> yeah, Hemsworth, I'm, I'm, or, uh, Hemsworth. I'm trying uh, to burn
2: uh, off the pandemic <laughs> weight.
1: Oh, geez. No, no. You've got to keep it. You know, like Chris Hemsworth.
0: <laughs> That's he's a hard one to do. Make,
1: he's taking is. the Thor rollover for Hemsworth, you know.
0: <laughs> Work out in the morning.
1: <laughs> you mean Fat Thor? Yeah, yeah. He's taking yeah. the rollover for Thor when he took yeah. grandpa. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> my <laughs> goodness. One.
1: Well, Anyway, it's been it's been a pleasure, and hopefully, uh, you know, listeners will enjoy. You know, uh, so stay tuned. Uh, we'll have uh, Cindy's website up and all her information, and people stay tuned and see what comes out of this. So, again, thank you very much for coming on the show, Cindy Brett.
0: Yes, Alan, David, thank you for this opportunity, and you guys take care. Thanks, Cindy. You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts or show, go to www.houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is be the production of
2: Something Weird Media. I'll be back.
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts,